portions of KDKR's daily programming do not necessarily reflect the views of the management or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, today, signs of a car that has been in a flood. Today, we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for the special car corner edition of Prudent Money. Good afternoon, this is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the special Car Corner edition of Prudent Money. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know, I do appreciate it in the studio. It's Tony Joe. He's here with me every Friday. And uh, to take your car, cor- uh, your car corner questions, one 5357 that is the number to call, and I do have a line open. Would love to hear from you today. If you got a question for me, you can always go to the website, www.prudentmoney.com. Send a question into the Ask Bob section, and I will get you taken care of. That's all at the website, prudentmoney.com. 1-877-913-5357. Well, Tony Joe, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I got, I got to tell you a story. I don't think I've ever told you this. Okay. The I was in a in a uh, furniture store, and check. I was checking out. We just bought a a, a desk for the home office, okay. and uh, this lady took my my card, and she goes, she saw prudent money, and she goes, "Hey, wait a minute! I listened to that program. Do you know the guy who hosts that?" And I said, "Well, I, I'm the guy who hosts that." And she goes. Are you kidding? She goes, I thought you were a lot, a whole lot older than uh, than you look. So I had, you know, we obviously we talk on the radio and you can't see. What, Doesn't what that make you feel good, though? <laughs> I guess. It's okay to admit it. I mean, that should make you feel good. So anyway, someone, I had a conversation with someone today and they said, what does Tony Joe look like? Oh, and, no. and and how do you, I mean, how do you describe a man of such perfection? I don't know. <laughs> but I said, I said, well, what do you think he looks like? And I, and I almost hesitate to say this. <laughs> you're, you're better off not asking that question. Now, you didn't describe what I looked like, did you? Because I know you would have not told the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I, hold on a second. Okay, so... No, I didn't. I didn't have this conversation. I was secondhand on this conversation. Oh, okay. This conversation. So, so this person told me that you, in his eyes, looked like a Harvard intellect. <laughs> well, in my defense, let me just say, what we're learning about Harvard graduates is not what it used to be. So, I, in fact, could be. You know, I don't know if I ever told you this. I actually did go to Harvard. Did you know that? Is this a joke coming I, I out? Went you know, to a lot of the listeners who listen to this program probably remember Click and Clack, the show, the internet, the uh, nationwide show that occurred from Boston with the two guys that had the garage up in Boston. Their names, uh, Tom Mariazzi and but Ray Mariazzi, but... They were known as Click and Clack, and I know a lot of listeners probably remember that. I actually drove to Boston to meet them way back in, like, 1990 or 91. I can't remember. And on my way, for those of you who know Boston, 
It is not a fun city to try to drive in, but I was going down Massachusetts Avenue. And there, lo and behold, I'm stopped at a light, and there's Harvard to my right. Mm-hmm. Right. The building. So I had well, to just stop, get out, and stand on the steps just so I could say that I've been to Harvard. <laughs> so it, the, the guy is not totally wrong, okay? Harvard intellect. I'm not a grad, Harvard grad, <laughs> but I have been to Harvard. Well, you, you know a few things, so <clears throat> I guess we could uh, call you intellectual. I know stuff. Do you also know, I, I don't think anybody missed any of the great content, but your mic was off for the oh. first minute there. But I got you back on before you start telling your story, so. Okay. That's good. one 913 I do have a line open. If you, I, I thought you would take that and run with that a little bit further than you did. Well... <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> That's why. That's Plus, why I didn't keep tell forgetting you. to turn my mic up all the time. It makes me feel bad. Is it giving you a complex? It's almost like you're embarrassed to have me. Oh, heavens no. Tony you know, Bob, Joe. I want to point out something that uh, just so you'll know. We talked about this earlier today, and I just thought I'd, I forgot all about it. But the man with that yes. problem did call me back about 10 minutes before I had to leave. Well, back up and, and okay. tell the first part of that story. So. Had an issue. Bob likes to me to talk about things that, strange things that happened this week. And I can never remember because every day I just shut down and go on to the next day. But anyway, something happened this week that was kind of interesting. The person brought a vehicle in that had been to a place, several places, I guess, trying to diagnose a problem with a hesitation when they accelerate. Turns out that. Indeed, I drove the car, and indeed, it did hesitate when you accelerate. So I looked at the vehicle for a few minutes, and I tried to evaluate what may be happening. And I pulled the work tickets from the estimates she got from other places, and they wanted to change things like timing belts. I, I'm sorry, timing chain. Timing chain, for those of you that don't know, significantly more expensive than a timing belt like we have on so many cars. Um, that with a, uh, changing spark plugs and a new fuel pump and, you know, things like that were changed and tried, and then the next shop wanted to change the spark plugs again. They were just changed, not more than 10,000 miles earlier. So there was a lot of guesswork going on here, and I didn't know for sure why all these high-cost estimates were coming in. And so I evaluated, and my opinion was that he had a restrict, she had a restricted exhaust somewhere. So I recommended that they take it to a muffler shop, have the exhaust system tested. They can test for back pressure certain places here and there. And sure enough, it had a restriction in the exhaust. It was in the catalytic converter. But it was at the early stages of bothering someone. You know your car's not right, but it really isn't doing anything dramatic. It just has this hesitation on tip-in when you try to accelerate. Very hard to diagnose. If it was left alone and kept driving this car, it would have gotten worse and worse and worse and e a little easier to find. But in any case, we got it resolved. It was a restriction in the exhaust. And she had to have a new converter for considerably less money than all those estimates that she was getting for 
basically what I consider at this point, now that I've reviewed everything and seen everything for myself, I consider those all guesses. Yeah, That's so you're, when doing, you say were places, guessing. were you saying saying like three estimates all about the same thing, just kind of throwing parts at it? No, none of the estimates matched. That's why she was oh, so discouraged oh, okay, because none of the estimates, <clears throat> everybody wanted to do expensive things but different things. Oh, okay. And so I was just, it was brought to my attention just because a friend of a friend said, hey, why don't you call Tony and see if he can give you a, another opinion. And so that's the way it worked out. And the man did call me before the show, Bob, and I told you I would follow you up on, follow up on this. It is running good. He, he actually told me, he said, hey, Tony, you know, they charged me, I forget what, three-something or four, 300, and I don't, I can't remember. But anyway, he said, they put a V6 in instead of the four-cylinder, and they charged me $386, let's just say. I go, what? He goes, yeah, that's how it runs, man. All the power's back, the acceleration. I said, so he was joking. They put a V6 in yeah, because he had a four-cylinder. I said, so you got a V6 motor instead of a four-cylinder, and you got away for 386? That's great. Just sneak on out of there. Just keep driving. Don't look back. (laughs) Anyway, it's a personal (laughs) thing, I guess. You didn't get it, but you don't laugh at any of my jokes. I, I try not to encourage it. 1-877-913-5357. 1-877-913-5357. So, okay, let's say that, you know, you find yourself in a situation like that and, and the difference being that you're, you are, you've got a skill level that, a lot, that the vast majority of mechanics experience as well and that, that they don't have. So what, what, if you, what if you keep running into this roadblock? See, this is... This is what I wanted to point out, and I'm sorry that you're taking it that, you know, hey, bring it to you. I know everything. I do not know everything. I'm not bragging myself up. What I'm trying to point out is, you know, Bob, when we have, we've always advised people when they get some huge bill that they're not quite sure what's going on, and they don't, their intuition tells them, I don't know, maybe that's not what I, we, we always recommend get a second opinion. Well, she got a second opinion and a third opinion. <laughs> it just didn't work. This is one of those rare cases where it just didn't work, you know. Sometimes sometimes there's uh, situations that slip through the cracks. But just going back, I just want to reiterate that when you get a big ticket item like that, you want to get a second opinion, somebody to verify that that, in fact, is what's wrong with it. Okay, so obviously these couple of uh, or two or three estimates that she got doing different things ultimately would not fix the problem right they wouldn't have okay so what happens in in, in your situation with a you know a, sh- a, a shop that okay i'm going to replace the timing chain i'm going to do this i'm going to do that and she takes it ah, still has that problem what then well then you've got um, a customer that's severely disappointed first of all Sure. So I've just dropped eight hundred, yeah. nine hundred bucks. Well, m- way more than that. Oh, Fifteen hundred dollars. This was sixty-six hundred for some of the things they wanted to 66, do. Sixty-six. One of them. Sixty-six the, the hundred. Right. right. So you see, <laughs> I think about that too. Now I don't approach things in that way. I never do. I like right. to do my diagnosis up front. I don't want to guess. And if I can't figure it out at the time, I tell them, keep driving it. It's. I know it's inconvenient, but it's not dangerous at that point if it was dangerous i would not advise them 
But sometimes you just got to let things get a little bit of work a little bit worse so you can actually pinpoint the problem and not have to guess at it. This is Bob Brooks, 1-877-913-5357. Up against the break, stick around, be right back. Hi, this is Bob Brooks, host of the Prudent Money Radio Show. Well, 2022 has been a miserable year for investing. Will 2023 bring the same? You know, times like this have a way of making us feel stuck, not knowing what to do. Well, there are two keys to success in any kind of market. First, you have to be informed. But second, you have to receive that information in a way that anyone can understand it. This is my objective with the next Prudent Money webinar There are five main questions that you should be asking right now. Number one, what is a bear market and what does a bear market really look like? This could tell us a whole lot about 2023. Number two, why is it important to understand cycles when it comes to growing my retirement? Number three, what do I need to know about inflation? You know, how high will these prices go? How do I protect myself from inflation? Number four, why should I be careful with bonds? Number five, what steps do I take now? You know, what are my options? Well, if you're unsure about the future, then this webinar is for you. Sign up now for the five questions that could save your retirement. There's two times we're going to present this webinar. The first one is on Wednesday, October 26th at noon. And the second one is Friday, October the 28th at noon as well. Today, sign up at prudentmoney.com. Bible verses like, don't repay evil for evil, are easy to understand but difficult to live out. Monday on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares teaches us about a time when David had the opportunity to get revenge and kill Saul, which would have solved a lot of his short-term problems. Hear what he did instead, Monday on Focal Point. a.m. on Bible School Radio 91.3. We're wrapping up our series called The Pastor's Study this week on Truth for Life. Discover the key ingredient to effective preaching and find out why the message of the cross is central to the faith. It needs to be central to our preaching as well. Listen to Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. Weekdays at 5.30 a.m. here on 91.3 KDKR. Welcome back. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to this special Car Corner edition of Prudent Money. 1-877-913-5357. If you want to talk to Tony Joe, I do have a line open. Something you said, you squeezed it in the last 15 seconds because you had to. And I, I got to think, that's just such great advice. Rare that, you know, one of the things I want to point out, and when I was talking about uh, the way that you handle it, one of the things I didn't say, and I'm, I'm going to brag on you because I, because I want to. Please don't. <laughs> but uh, is your ethics and the way that you run your business. And that's, that's I, I got to tell you, that's, that's as, as valuable as experience, just so that, you know, when you're looking for somebody, uh, but you said, listen, we, we don't, you know, don't have a solution right now for you, but go drive the car because it's going to get worse. And who says that? I mean, that, Some, that, but that, talk, talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, sometimes that's the best thing, the best approach to take is if you cannot identify the problem 
and you've done your homework and you've tried to diagnose this thing and you've covered to the best of your ability every detail that you can think of and you still come up dry, my solution is to keep driving the car. Whatever's wrong with it is going to get a little bit worse. It's going to get more frequent and a little more um, identifiable. Now, it's much better to do that so that you can pinpoint the problem when it gets worse. It's easier to identify. Now you're getting more bang for, you know, you're putting your money in the right spot. You're not guessing. You're not throwing money at it. This is sometimes what has to happen. Now, let me just say, you got to be careful because there are situations where it can be a uh, dangerous to drive the car with a certain yeah i don't so think you don't you don't do it in those cases i think it, it's something if the if the mechanic says who's looked at your car and says hey you're not taking any risk and obviously right. they don't they don't say that without being pretty you know pretty positive right i uh, but just in yeah. this in this particular case that we're di- talking about right now the one that happened hey, yeah week, hesitation is to she's been driving it for 6 months like this mm-hmm. and the the young girl made me feel bad. She goes, "Yeah, it takes me, it takes me a lot of practice to merge on the highway." Oh, As in, you my know, gosh. she's really got to struggle to, yeah, more work than it should take to get in traffic on the highway and then get, you know, going. So, it's not like it was dangerous to her. She's been driving this car because nobody can figure it out. She's been suffering with it for six months. So it wasn't one of these situations where I would say don't. Don't drive it. It's too dangerous. I mean, she's been driving it for six months like this. And I would have, had I not been able to identify it, I would have said, just keep driving it. Let it get worse till we can bring it back in and see what the problem is. You know, you also said something, too, that I always like to do the upfront diagnostics. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a, a somewhat of a red flag if, you know, you're talking to somebody, you're telling what's wrong with your car, they go back and they look at it for two minutes, five minutes, and they come back with a $6,600 estimate. Uh, the question would be, you know, what have you done to confirm that this is what is going to fix my car? And a question, Tony, Joe, you can, you can probably speak to this. I'll bet you that nobody ever asks, and that is, what if you fix my car and I write you a check for $6,600 and it's still doing it? Mm-hmm. What's my recourse? Yep. You should ask. You probably ought to ask that because but, I mean, how many that's times a lot of money. And a lot of people don't. I would say the high majority of people don't. Uh, they think because I'm spending $6,600, I'm going to get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's where you have to consider the fact that are you going to tell this person – that their car is fixed and charge them $6,600, knowing full well the minute they get in the car, they're going to see that it's doing the same thing, that's just wrong. That's just not ethical. And that's where you have to say to yourself, well, had they up front maybe said, well, we're going to do all this work and we're going to try and see if that fixes it. Now, that would be different. That sets the stage for a whole new set of circumstances but if they say this is going to fix the car and then it doesn't fix the car uh that's just wrong to let them take the car and pay for it knowing full well that it doesn't work right so there's an awful lot to it and i I don't bob you know my opinion is most shops wouldn't do that right not all shops are bad oh yeah they wouldn't do that absolutely 
Yeah, giving money back in that situation would be the right thing to do, but it would be a futile effort because you know they're going to see that it doesn't didn't fix the car the minute they get in it. Yeah, I guess with with uh, the more stories I read and, and, and situations that uh, people tell me about uh, about it's just amazing what the really the small number of people that make the your industry look bad, make my industry look bad, make anybody's industry look bad. You just can never put it past a person what they're capable of doing. And you gotta you gotta check some boxes whether you want to or you need to check some boxes whether you want to or not. And there's less and less young folks that are getting into this business and a lot of mechanical fac uh, facilities, uh, service centers and garages, independent or dealerships, they're having problems getting help, Bob. They're, right. they're running short on people to actually work on cars. So, you know, you got to think of it like any other business. There's less places to choose from and there's less people to that are able to work on your car. So the ones that are left can can go that route and abuse people if they want to but so, it's not right so tell me what has shifted in your opinion that has created this problem this un, this employment uh, situation scarcity i think it's really due to a couple of different factors and i'm not an economist like you i mean i would never challenge you but i'll tell you what i personally think Number one, the COVID checks. That was a big thing because the COVID checks and the money that they got from unemployment and the extra money they got at the end of the month from unemployment, all that factored into where people just didn't really want to work. They would rather sit home. Right. And right. because of that, it has now, even though it's ended, now it has kind of bled into the situation we're having right now, which is people don't want to work very hard if they don't have to, and I don't blame them, but working on cars is not easy. It's not just physically demanding, but you have to have an awful lot of knowledge about an awful lot of different subjects just to be able to understand how a car works. So nobody wants to do all that for the money they're going to make. They'd rather go into computers and, uh, you know, get, um, I don't know, better job you might say, better paying job with less, you know, you're a mechanic, you're usually working in the heat of the summer and the cold in the winter. You know, it's not a fun job, but right. it's a necessary evil because if we keep losing facilities, you're going to be, the big fear I have is when you have only the dealer to choose from, and that's the only place to get your car fixed, the, the, the independents keep the dealers honest. Once the independents drop out one by one because they can't afford to stay in business anymore, that's when car repair bills and things are just going to be out of control. That's when it gets really scary. The uh, independents, you might say, keep the dealers in check. Somewhere. Sure, sure. So what have you seen a, 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 uh, quite, a, quite a bit of your independent people shut down? Some, and yeah. Some have completely closed up and some are barely surviving with a skeleton crew you know if you don't have enough workers that can operate enough volume to pay your bills then yeah i guess what what doesn't add up to me and of course when it comes to the unemployment situation none of these none of these scenarios numbers have ever added up to me in the last ever since covid hit 
But it would just seem like that the need for independent garages, because you're, it's going to be a different experience than the dealership. It's going to probably be a less expensive mm-hmm. 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. You would think that the need is, is great, is, is, uh, is, a, is big to have independent garages around. So I don't, it's, it's interesting to me that, that they're closing down, I guess. Well, I mean, they are, you know, remember, it's, there's a lot easier ways to make money. So either the pay is going to have to increase or the, the, the independents are going to just have to maintain the best they can with a skeleton crew, which usually means only a, a matter of time before they go out of business because, you know, you got to turn over a lot of cars just to make it, and, and every independent knows what I'm talking about. And it's a lot of hours, and it's a lot of demanding work, and it's something that doesn't seem like the money you make is worth the time and effort you put into it. Mm, right. But then again, I could probably have a different job and say the same thing. I don't know. If I had another job like yours, I couldn't stand the stress alone. There isn't a m- normal amount of money you could pay me to do your job just because <laughs> of the stress involved. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, from the standpoint of looking forward into the future, you have, of course, uh, electric cars and just all, all kinds of interesting mm-hmm. things that you've, you've got to, to kind of pivot. Yep, there and, will be changes. And make there. the independent garage has to, to pivot. Because you're right, it, it's going to be a, a sad day when everything depends on the dealership mm-hmm. because they got you right where they want you. Well, for one thing, there's not enough dealerships to be able to handle the volume. Yeah, that's true. That that's true, You'll have too. to wait weeks to get your car fixed. That is definitely true. Hey, this is Bob Brooks. We are uh, up at, towards the end of the program. So make sure that you do go to prudentmoney.com and sign up for the webinar next week, and uh, we'll get you uh, send, send you out a link and get you set up. This is Bob Brooks. If you got a question for me, please go to the website at prudentmoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time. Keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.